Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. Please open your Bibles to the book of Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2. And this passage, it's interesting, it picks up right in the middle of a passionate dialogue that the Apostle Paul is having to combat a works-based faith system and how it was affecting the church. And they were attacking his authority. And it's It's incredible, though, but in the middle of this today, we're going to look at this verse. And I believe this is the most freeing verse in all of the Bible. And it helps you in your Christian life to understand that we're not under bondage, but we are free in Christ. And if you're struggling today with maybe anxiety or depression, it has a chokehold on your life. I have some encouragement. This verse brings you hope. Maybe you've been feeling like it's impossible to quit an addiction. And every time that it seems like it's starting to go, you fall right back into it. I have hope for you this morning. This verse brings you hope. Maybe your relationships are falling apart with your spouse, your wife, your kids. Because you just lose control. I have hope for you today. There's freedom found in this verse. And this verse gives us hope. And this passage has been on my heart for the last two months or so. I did a study while I was still in uh, some of my graduate studies. And this passage came up. And I was studying it. And it's such a rich verse. Uh, It's something that just transformed my thinking of the way that we are to live the Christian life. And so I've been meditating on it, musing on it, thinking on it. While we're at with the, the kids, just thinking about it and You know, God has really worked in my heart, and I I hope that it helps you the way that it helped me, because it's a freeing verse. It's almost paradoxical. It's inspiring. And so if we could all stand, we're going to read this one verse together, and then we're going to jump in. This verse is Galatians 2.20, and if you don't have it, it'll be up on the screen for you so you can read. But let's read this together passionately. It starts off in saying, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, looking at you, I think you guys are going to get it. I am am so, like, I I think you're going to get it. But there's a couple of you that look a little lost in, you know, the direction that we're going. So, uh, so just turn to the person on your left and say, you know what? Hey, don't worry. I'll help you. <laughs> and so uh, help them along in this passage. And so our pastor, he tells us a lot of times while we're looking at uh, the Word of God, there's two things that we always need to know when we're studying the Bible. And there are two C words. I heard some people say it. It is the culture And if you know it, context. So the culture of this passage, uh, the Apostle Paul, he journeyed to, uh, on his first missionary journey, I think we have a picture of a map that we can show, to this area of Galatia, and he's traveling, and there's many churches that this book is written to. 
And it's to the churches of Galatia. And the Apostle Paul, he shared the gospel there. And they accepted. And they turned from their idols. They turned from pagan religions to follow Christ. And this is a melting pot in the Roman Empire where uh, there's a lot of different people that they, people groups that are here. And so they're one of the first people to accept the gospel in most of these regions were Jews because they knew God. They knew what the Old Testament said. And so the Apostle Paul preached the gospel and people accepted Christ and they came together in these churches. And so that's the context we have. And they started to become saturated with some people that had some knowledge of God, these, these Jewish Christians. And so in the context that we see here, these Jews started to incorporate the Old Testament into the New Testament. And they started taking the laws that we see in the Jewish culture, and they started to say you have to live by these in this new covenant. And so we see that you know, Paul, he is combating this, but they start to question his authority. The Apostle Paul, I don't know if you can imagine this, that's like someone standing up to Pastor Armstrong and saying, hey, you know, this person shouldn't be preaching. They're saying to the person who is leading, saying, you know, no, 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 don't listen to the Apostle Paul. He is not an apostle of Christ. And the Apostle Paul, he starts off in this book by saying, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says that I am called by Jesus. And, and we know from the Damascus Road that he heard directly from Jesus. And he told him to follow him and to be a preacher of the gospel. And so they're taking the authority away from Paul. And they are saying, now we're going to listen to the Old Testament and say, you have to be under the law to be saved. You have to do certain things to fully accept salvation. They, and they had different ways that they said that they had to do this. And the Apostle Paul said, no. There is nothing you can do to earn salvation. Salvation is something that is a free gift. It is by faith and by God's grace alone that we are able to obtain salvation. And honestly, we see this works-based salvation alive and well today. Whether it's the Islamic faith or the Mormon faith or the Jehovah's Witness or the Catholic faith. These faiths, they're saying you have to do something on top of what Jesus has already done to accept this salvation. And this verse that we have, it's so freeing because it shows us it's not what I do, it's what Jesus has done. And it's not what I'm going to do in my life, it's what Jesus is doing in my life. Because I'm crucified with Christ. But then, if I don't have to do anything to accept salvation, it brings us to a next logical question. Why then do we do anything that is good? Why do we live a life for God? If we can accept Christ and then immediately turn around and go sin and do whatever we want and live like the world, why then do we take and say we, we should serve, we should give, we should spend time studying and to know God? Why? What's the reason behind this? Because it doesn't earn our salvation. We are already saved. Let me make this simple statement. And the gospel, it brings freedom from sin not freedom to sin. See, in our life, we need to understand that the gospel brings freedom from the power, the penalty of sin, but not freedom to sin, to indulge into sin, to go into this life that we are no longer part of. See, Paul explains this very clearly in Romans 6.1. He says that shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? 
God forbid. He asks these rhetorical questions again in 6.15. He says, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. You see, why do we serve? Why do we give? Why do we love others? If it doesn't earn salvation, I heard someone say, because of the grace of God, because of the abundance in our life, Christians serve, Christians give, Christians love out of an abundance of gratitude for the salvation that we have freely received from God and as an expression of our faith in Jesus. We don't follow Jesus and his teachings to earn salvation. The price has already been paid. We follow because we have experienced the love of God. We have experienced the grace of God. And so, therefore, we should want to follow Jesus. A concept that Paul is battling, that we are still battling today, is this idea that spiritual maturity relies on our outward look, on what we do. And so the Jews, they were accustomed to this, and they'd seen this in their life, and so they are carrying this over into their new faith of Christ. And the Apostle Paul, he's saying, no, what you do does not determine your spirituality. He's saying right here that the external does not reveal what has happened on the internal. Our outward conformity is not proof that we are uh, living a life that is honoring to God. We can put on a face. We can put on a show. See, when it comes to our outward conformity to Christ, we are to live the life ...that Jesus has given to us. We are to be more like the Son of God. And because of the gratitude that we have... ...the abundance of gratitude out of our heart... ...for what Jesus has done... ...we should want to be like Him. We should learn and obey the Scriptures... ...which is loving God... ...like our, our church a mission statement is. We should be a participating member of the church... ...and grow together. We should share the life-changing gospel... ...with those that Jesus has put in our life... ...to reach Tucson... You see, Jesus, he is our example. He is our savior. He is the one we are to emulate. And we should do that not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we want to be like our savior. Romans 8, 29 tells us that for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. He chose to be conformed, to be like the image of his son, to be like Jesus. He chose us to be just like Jesus, to become more like him each and every day. So then what is this idea of spirituality? What does this mean to be spiritually mature? I know many of us, we look at people in the church that we've seen all of our life, and we look at people who have been a Christian for decades and years, and we think, wow, they are, they are a spiritual giant in our life. We think of our grandparents. We think of our parents. We think of a pastor. We think of the, the leaders in our church and we say, you know what, like they are spiritually mature. And I was trying to grapple with this idea and I was trying to think, how can I understand this? How does someone become spiritually mature? Does it just happen overnight? Is it something that, you know, someone gets saved and now I'm a spiritually mature Christian? No, there is a process that happens. And so um, I came across uh, a way of trying to help me understand this because I'm a visual learner. And so hopefully it helps you as well. Uh, when it comes to being a spiritually mature Christian, there's three areas of our life that have to be in unity. There is our practice, our experience, and our biblical beliefs. 
And if we think of these as different spheres in our life, we have our biblical beliefs are what we base our life on. Because what we believe determines what we do. And so then our biblical beliefs is a section, but if we have a belief and a knowledge of God, but we're not acting on it, we're not putting it into practice, it does no good. And so then the practice of, of putting into practice what we believe from the Bible is essential, but then we experience what the Bible says. When the Bible tells us to cast all care on him because he cares for you, and then it says, fear not, for I am with you. You know, when we take the truths of God's word, we learn it and we practice it, then we experience the power of God in our life. We experience how he's going to come alive. But then we have people who we all know who would be, all these sections would be isolated. We would categorize them as maybe a hypocrite. This is someone who they might have knowledge, but they never practice it. And so then they never experience the power of God in their life by applying the scriptures to their life. And so in a Christian, we should be trying to put all of these as close in unity as possible. We should have a life where We've learned the Bible, and out of that, we are practicing what we learn, what we learn each Sunday. Like Pastor Armstrong's been preaching through the book of Matthew, how we're taking that and we're applying it to your life, we're practicing it, and then we're experiencing how the Word of God changes our life. You see, if we're going to be a spiritually mature Christian, we have to take the Word of God and understand it. And then we have to incorporate it, and then we can experience the power of God's word in our life. And so each and every one of us, as we are trying to grow in this area, we're going to take this verse. I don't know how to respond. Oh, I have Siri talking to me. Sorry about that. <laughs> Technology, what are you going to do? <laughs> and so when it comes to our life, our spiritual maturity depends on how are we taking God's word? How consistently are we practicing it? And then are we experiencing the life-changing power of God's word in our life? And as we continue to do that day in and then day out, and a consistent life is formed, then we're experiencing the freedom of the way of Jesus in our life. See, as we move now from this idea of understanding what the foundational principles of the, the preceding verses in this book have said... Now we're going to move on into our text. We understand that we have to apply what we learn to experience what God has said. And so now let's see what Paul is saying. He says in this first phrase, there's four of them. He says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. From this phrase we see that the plans for my future, they must be given to Jesus. See, everything that I have planned for my life... It has to be surrendered. It has to be given over if we're going to follow Christ. Because I am crucified. We are co-crucified with Christ. We crucified the deeds of our flesh. We crucify our desires, our aspirations, our plans, our future. We say, Jesus, I'm giving this over to you. I'm following you and I am putting that away. I am putting that to death in my life. And he says that, but nevertheless, I live. You see, in direct contrast to the cross, the cross was a symbol used by the Roman Empire to instill compliance through fear. They would take 
criminals and they would crucify them to show people in public that there is a price for disobedience. Jesus took this symbol of fear and a symbol of compliance and he took it and he said, I'm going to turn this into a symbol of hope, of love, of life. See, in direct contrast, Jesus uses the cross to express the greatest form of love. The scripture tells us in John 15, that greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus took and expressed his love on the cross by laying his life down for us. He laid it down so we could experience new life. Romans 5 it says that God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we understand the principle that Jesus died for us. But so often, that's the only thing that we actually put, that is put to death in the Christian life. So often, we indulge in our fleshly desires that we shouldn't. And we live out our plans. We live out what we want to do. Not ever even thinking, what does God want in our life? What does God want to do? Because it's still focused on us. It's focused on what we want to do. And just like Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross for us, Paul is saying here, I am crucified with Christ. But he's not saying he remains dead. He says, nevertheless, I live Jesus put it this way. He put it this way in Mark chapter 8. He said, And when they had called the people unto him and his disciples also, Jesus said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, the Christian life is a life that we are to serve Christ. We are to sacrifice what we want for what Jesus has given us. To experience the freedom that is found in the Christian life, we have to start with the paradoxical idea of putting our wants to death. We have to crucify our desires, our plans, the results of our life. We have to give that up and give it to God. And say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm following you. It's not what I can do. It's what you can do because I am giving over to you the control. I'm giving the reins to you. I'm letting you pilot the plane of my life. And as a teenager, I struggled with that. I sat in pews just like this. I sat there and I heard preaching and I, and I was struggling. And I said, you know what? I knew that God wanted me to do something with my life. And I would sit on the front row and I had this face you know, that I put on for everybody, of following God. But inside, I was getting ready to turn the tables on my parents and say, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do. I had some, some neat opportunities. And I thought, you know what, I want to go and I want to be a designer. I want to go and I want to build software. I had the opportunity to, I had an invitation to go to an Apple think tank. And I thought, you know what, I'll just, I'll get to Apple and I'll change the world. And I'll do something there for me. And I was all about that, and I was going to do it. And I couldn't get away from the fact that as I was sitting there and hearing the preaching, that it was what I wanted. It was my plans. It was my desires. I wanted to change the world. I wanted to go and do something. I wanted my name to be the one that, that people saw and respected. And finally, it was through many different people 
in the church at that time. And that's why each one of you, you are, your voice is so important, so powerful. You don't, maybe you don't know, but people listen to you. The, the children, the teens, when you speak to them, it makes an impact. And through the voice of several saints who had been saved for decades, speaking into my life, I finally came to the realization that, you know what? My life, it doesn't belong to me. The Bible tells me that I am bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Because it's not me, it's not mine. My life belongs to Jesus, but he gives us a choice. He lets us choose, are we going to do that? And I didn't want to, but finally God broke me. But it wasn't until I hit rock bottom. You see, I had this stress of results. It was what I was going to do. And so I had to perform. I had to get the exams right. I had to do what I could do. I had to do everything. It was all relying on me. And so then it, it developed into some depression, developed into stress and anxiety. And then because of that stress and anxiety, it resulted in an addiction in my life. And I was just spiraling out of control. And until I got to a point that I realized I can't do it, God used these people in my life to speak to me, to say, you need to follow God. It's what God has done. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying that it is your life that is to be crucified. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. And when I realized that and I gave my life over to God, then he took those addictions. He took that stress and anxiety. He took that, that pressure from having to perform to get all the results because I was the one driving my life. All of that stress, I could give it over because the results were not up to me. This verse in this first passage is important. And if you don't understand this verse in this first section of saying, God, I'm giving the results to you. God, I'm giving control to you. Whatever you want for my life, I'll do it. God, what, whatever you want me to do with my family, I'll do it. God, the direction that I have, the job that I have, whatever you want, I'm going to follow you. If you're not willing to give it over to Jesus then you might as well tune out the rest of the message. Because it all builds on this first statement that I am crucified with Christ. And this verse is the most freeing verse in all the Bible for your life. Because if you give your plans to God, you're not responsible for the results. You don't have to let worry and fear control you. Because God is the one who you trust. Because he is the one responsible. You don't have to worry about being addicted to substances, people, or pleasure. Because we are seeking our fulfillment in what God is doing. Instead of what we are doing. Our relationships with our spouses, our friends, or our kids. They'll implode if we're in the driver's seat. Because we're human. We're sinners. We're going to lose our temper. We're going to lose anger. And we're going to lose it on people. If we're the ones in control, but when we live the way of Jesus, we are going to be people filled with love, people that are filled with patience and kindness. But it doesn't happen if you don't give control to God. If you don't say, God, whatever you want, I'm giving my life, my future, my results, those parents in the room, my children, I'm giving them to you. Whatever you want, God. 
we're not willing to do that, then we're not going to have the freedom that we should experience in the Christian life. And if this seems a little unclear to you, and it's still a little fuzzy and, and hazy, and you say, you know, I, I want to do that, but how? How do you do that? We don't get up on a cross. How do you take and crucify yourself to the cross? How do you do this? Well, he explains it a little further in the next phrase. And so as we keep moving, he says, Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. You see, us being in Christ is a concept that Paul, he repeatedly, he explains and teaches over and over and over. And my identity is to be in Christ. And notice I put in parentheses, in Christ. Because when it comes to our life, we are in Christ. This, this is an idea called the union with Christ. It's meaning that we as believers, we are one with him. Through the Spirit of God given to us through the Holy Spirit, we are one with God. He is in us and us in him. We are abiding in Christ because the Holy Spirit is abiding in us. And so when you accept Christ at that moment, you receive the Holy Ghost. And so at that point, you are able to then experience the fruits of the Spirit. You're able to experience the working of God in your life because he's with you. When Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the world, amen, he is with us because the Holy Spirit is who he has given to us, the comforter that he sent when he left. What is our identity, though? We talk about identity a lot, and you hear it in the news a lot about, you know, your identity is found in something. And so I tried to be concrete today. I tried to be uh, very um, down to earth so we can understand it, so that if I was sitting there, I would understand it. And so identity is something that I define uh, like this. It refers to the distinct characteristics, beliefs, values, and affiliations that define an individual. These are varying aspects of your life, but your identity is wrapped up in these items. And so if your identity is found in Christ, your characteristics need to be like Christ. What are the characteristics of Jesus? Well, we're going to look at some of them. The first one that we look at is my characteristics, they need to reflect Jesus in our life. And in Philippians 2, 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it spent that whole preceding passage and, and the ones that are going after to talk about the humbleness that Christ took on. The humility of Christ. My characteristics first, and you've got some space in your notes, so write this down, the word humility. My characteristics need to be that of humility. Jesus modeled that by stepping down from heaven into this world and he was born in a manger. He was there modeling the king of the universe how we should be humble. In 1 Peter 2.21 we see sacrificial love. For even hereunto were ye called because Christ Jesus also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Peter reminds the believers that Jesus sacrificed for us. Out of a heart of love. Just like a husband should sacrifice for his wife. Out of love for his wife and for his children. So Jesus modeled that in our life. And so we should have, as part of our characteristics, sacrificial love. That you should do as I have done. We see this verse is saying Jesus had just washed the disciples' feet. He's in the upper room. And he's here modeling servant leadership. He doesn't have to lord over his disciples. He doesn't have to beat them over the head because he has served them. He has been a servant to them. 
And he's led them by being a servant. And so we should be servant leaders. Jesus, he loved others. If we are not people who are characterized by loving others, we're not of God. Because God is love. John 15, 12 says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Loving others should be something that we are growing in, in the characteristics of our life. If our identity is not found in Jesus, then we can easily identify that because if we're not filled with humility, if we're not filled with sacrificial love, if we're not filled in aspiring to be a servant leader or aspiring to love others and forgiving other people, just as Jesus Christ forgave us, our identity is not really rooted in Jesus. It's rooted in something else. The Bible then must be the basis for my beliefs because our beliefs determine our behaviors and our behaviors determine our actions and our actions determine our character. And so we must have our foundation founded on the word of God. And so to be in Christ means your beliefs must be founded on the word of God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our, the Bible must be the basis for our belief because the word of God is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, To trust in the Lord with all your what? Heart. The heart is what you used to think. It's what you love. It's the things you choose. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, or the woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word of God has to be the basis for our belief. And then we see our values. Who did Jesus value? Jesus valued people. And those are the people that we should value as well. He valued everyone. But specifically we see in Mark chapter 10, he valued children. Children were people that were looked down upon in his society. And he valued them. And he brought them near. And he taught them. These children that we have that are over in the other buildings that are learning about God. We should value them. And I'm thankful we have a church that invests into them. And you just did with VBS. And so Jesus values children. He also valued in Matthew chapter 11 those that are tired and those that are burdened. He said, come all ye who are labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus cared for those that were in burdens. Those that were hurting. Those that were tired. We should value those people. We should care for those people. He valued the outcast. And we see that with the woman at the well who was cast out of the society because of her, her ungodly life, because of her sinful nature. But yet Jesus, the God of the universe, he took someone who was in sin, living in sin. He took her and he valued her. He cared for her. But so often in our life, we, we say, no, you're done. We need to value the people that Jesus valued. And when our values change... It changes who we are. And then lastly, those who we affiliate with, the community that we have should be the church. We have a church that has a community that if you haven't gotten connected, the way that we do that is very simple. You start with a growth group. 
you get connected in the growth group, you meet some people, you go out to eat with them, you get a coffee with them, you grow those relationships, and it's organic. It's not structured. And it, I tell this to the teens all the time that struggle to find someone that they connect with, a friend. For a man to have friends, the Bible says he must show himself friendly. Go meet people, talk to them. And we have a group of people in our church that every single person in this church is welcome. You are loved by God, and so we should love you as well and value you just like Jesus values you. And so jump in. The Bible tells us that in the New Testament, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. That means they prayed together, they ate together, they spent time together. We should do that not just in the church, not just when we meet for service, but we are the church that when we go out, we spend time with each other. We encourage each other. The Bible says that in Romans 12 that we are members in one body in Christ and we all are members that have not the same office, meaning that we are all different in our positions. But so then we being many, we are one. We have unity in Christ and everyone is members one of another. Because we all have a different position, we are all important. Every single person in this room matters to God and matters to the church to be able to function the way that we are supposed to. This idea of having our identity is essential. And as I, as I was gone over this summer, I went to uh, Washington, D.C. I had the privilege of seeing some really cool things. And you can see some pictures of my family and stuff. Aren't my kids cute? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they are, you know, they're really little. And my wife had this great idea about... Uh, connecting with one of uh, our representatives. And so we connected and uh, we talked with one of the guys that worked in the office. And he was just one of the guys who started off as an intern and now he's a staffer. And uh, he was talking to us about what it's like in Washington, D.C. And really, his life is consumed by working there. He wakes up at 5 in the morning and he gets up and he goes and gets in before his, his boss he drives the vehicle there. He picks his boss up from the airport when he needs to. He, he's very close to his boss and uh, the representative. And he's someone that, you know, he's kind of important in the office. And he helps to run and manage the office with all the other interns. And his life really, after talking with him, and he, he actually shared quite a bit about his life. And he shared that his life is, it has to, for him to do well in his position, it has to revolve around his work. He has to be ingrained in politics. He has to know what's happening around the world. He has to, you know, every moment that he gets on his phone, he's looking in these group text messages to see what happened with these other representatives that's going to affect his representative. He has to keep on track. He has to stay energized because he's got to, you know, represent the country well. He's got to represent his, his boss well. He has to have a good attitude because he's re representing his boss. He's a man who he is incredibly driven and I was thinking about his life and how everything from even the things that keep him going like the the coffee and the Red Bull that he's trying to use to stay awake I mean everything that he does revolves around what he does his identity is wrapped up in his position right now and it was a challenge to me because is my life really revolving around Christ to the level that this young man's life is around his job? Does every waking moment, do I think about 
these, these things in the word of God that are affecting my life? Do the people that I go and spend time with, are they people that are in the community of Christ? Are they trying to help people to grow closer to Christ? Are my values such that they are, in a lion, in a, they are aligned with God in Jesus? This young man, he lived a life that his identity is connected. His beliefs, his characteristics, his community, his values are all wrapped up in what he's doing. But as a Christian, I'm supposed to have the same level of determination to be a follower of Christ. And there is a tension that we see between what God wants in the spirit and the flesh. And so um, I've got a, I was trying to think of a way to work on this because when it comes to, to my life, it's so easy to live in the flesh. And so uh, I'm going to have two of my youth sponsors help me. So uh, Bradley and Josh, you guys can help me. Uh, these guys invest into the teens in uh, every single week. So can we thank them for helping out and investing and trying to point others to God? I'm going to have you guys come up here. So this is a leftover thing from the games from uh, VBS. So uh, I thought, well, let's try it. So these guys are going to represent our life. Okay, we have two natures. We have our sin nature, the old flesh. And then we have this new nature, the new man. But there's a tension between them. And so I'm going to have you, is it okay if you represent the flesh? Sure. Okay, so Bradley here, he is the flesh. So that means Josh gets to be the spirit. So he is the spirit. And so it doesn't take any work for us to be fleshly. It doesn't take any work for us. I don't have to teach my daughter to, uh, you know, to be a sinner because her daddy's a sinner. Her mommy's a sinner. I don't have to, none of us have to, you know, learn how to sin. And so this is something that is, we struggle with until we are with Jesus. But then when we get saved, we get this new nature that's pulling against and pulling and causing this tension to say, you know, like this person over here, this old person that I was, I'm not under bondage and sin anymore. I'm going to pull and I'm going to, this tension and, and keep the tension tight. So that way I'm not leaning towards sin. I'm not letting sin control or direct my life. But when we decide to give into sin in our life, it's like letting go of this rubber band. You can let go. It just, your whole life goes all the way back into the flesh, into the direction of sin, that you are no longer bound to follow. And so until we're with Christ, we're going to have this tension. We're going to have to maintain this tension of the sin side of our life. It's pulling on us, and it's always going to pull on us. But we are to be feeding the Spirit, growing in the Spirit. The Bible says that we are to walk in the Spirit and we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And as we pull against, there's a tension. There's going to be a tension the rest of our life until we're with Jesus. But don't give up. Let that tension be there. It says there that we are to walk in the Spirit. We grow in the Spirit. And so, thank you guys for your help. I just wanted to illustrate this because it helped me. But can we thank them for helping? Oh, you can take that. The Bible says in our next phrase, the life that I now live in the flesh. We are living with that tension. We are in the flesh. We are not perfect. God has, I mean, if, if, you, if you think you're perfect, talk to your wife. 
I know I'm not perfect. My wife could stand up here and speak for hours about all my shortcomings. I mean, we live in a broken body. We live with the effects of sin. And that desire that we wish would just disappear when we get saved, it's still there. And it's pulling on us. And we have to pull back. We have to feed the flesh. We have to grow in the flesh. Because to be carnally minded, to let go of the rubber band, is death. But to be spiritually minded, it's life, it's peace, it's a freeing experience for you. In Galatians 5, he, he underscores this by talking about that we walk in the spirit. He says, for the, the flesh lusteth against the spirit. It fights against it. And the spirit against the flesh, they're, they're at odds, they're at tension, there's a tension between them. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that they cannot do the things that, they, that you would. If we're living a life that is filled with, this, with the Spirit, we're pulling against the flesh in our life, and we're trying to live the life that God has given to us, and that is a freeing experience when we walk in the Spirit. But when we don't, it says here that we are experiencing its death. The carnally minded is, is death, and it's going to be a burden the Christian life is hard. I, I heard, unfortunately, I heard a couple people talking uh, last week while I was at camp. They, the counselors were, they were like, the Christian life is so hard. It's so hard. The Christian life is only hard when you're the one doing it. You see, it's a, it's a concept here that he's trying to help us understand that we give control over to Christ. We grow in the Spirit and the Spirit is in control when we give control to the Spirit. And we do that by living by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so when we do that, it's a freeing experience. It takes the pressure off of me because the results are up to God. Because my life for Jesus is then fueled by my faith in him. My identity rests for him, and because I am trusting him, my faith, my trust, my reliance on him and what he is doing, it fuels my life. It fuels me to continue. It makes life easy because, you know what, when those uh, tens of thousand dollar bills come into your life, you know what, you can trust God will provide because your faith is fueling you. When you have that, that, uh, that doctor's visit and everything falls apart, and they say you've only got months to live. You don't live in a spirit of fear. Because God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so when these bad news things come into our life, those of us who are trusting Christ, we know God's in control. He has a purpose. He has a plan. I can trust him because you know what? The results aren't up to me. The results are up to God. And, and honestly, in these hard decisions, this might be God's plan. God has put a sickness in your life. Why is it there? If you're trusting God, there's a reason. These things come into your life that are trials. These bills come out of nowhere and you don't know how you're going to pay them. God has a plan. Maybe he's trying to build your faith. Maybe he's trying to bring you to the point that you're almost breaking so that you can learn to trust on him and not trust in yourself. Maybe 
You need it. And it's good for you. And it doesn't feel comfortable at the time. But God knows that it is part of his plan to make you be more conformed to the likeness, the image, the identity of Christ in your life. How do we do that? How do we live by the faith of the Son of God? Well, we seek for God's guidance. The Bible says in Psalm 25, 4 through 5, Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Do we wait on God? Do we seek him for the decisions in our life? Do we lean on him? Do we even pray for the things that are happening? Or do we just take another step? Do it on our own. When relationships crumble, and they often do, do we have love? Do we have forgiveness for those people? It says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. When fear and anxiety come into your life, you're not gripped by it. You're not controlled by it because you're trusting in God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. We see this in the life of Stephen, who even at the moment of his death, because of his faith in Jesus... He looks up and he says, don't lay this to their account. Don't lay this charge to them. And he has unwavering faith in God. We see Job, who despite the physical infirmities on his life and on his body, he's sitting there and, they, and everyone says, turn your back on God, curse God and die. He doesn't. He remains faithful to his God who is faithful to him. We see Paul who was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was at the point of death. Some people think he even died. And the Apostle Paul, he continues to tell us, put faith in God. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He could do that because his identity was in Christ. His values were based on him. His characteristics were based on Christ. His, his community was the church. The things that he believed were based on the word of God. He trusted him. His life wasn't up to himself. 